All right. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Oh. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Zing, zing, zing went my heartstrings. From the moment I saw him, I fell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Stuck in the Middle with you. I'm Juan. He's Derek. And you fucked up the intro. Movie this week, fuck you. Our movie this week is Meet Me in St. Louis. See, now that you've actually done it, it's a dumb idea. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. I hate you. This is a fantastic intro. Welcome to episode four of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at a critically divisive film and see on what side of the consensus they fall on. My name is Derek Gade. The other guy trying to hijack the intro from me is Juan Barkeen. Say hi, Juan. Hi. <laughs> Uh, but we did not watch Meet Me in St. Louis this week. What did we watch, Juan? Oh, I wanted you to tell the world after I, I hijacked the intro. It's your fa- It's your new favorite movie, right? <laughs> yeah, you could say that. It's my new favorite movie to in, to like fuck with you with. Because uh-huh. when I say it's bad, you flip out. Because it's not bad, and I hate you for it. <laughs> I think that this is the going to be. This is officially the first podcast where we disagree about something, and I'm not even like. I don't even care about hiding this until, like... The end? Later. Yeah, with our whole, like, rotten and fresh shit. No, no, like, this is this is a fresh movie that Derek thinks is rotten because he's terrible. We'll get to that. The movie in question <laughs> is... It's Sex in the City. 2008 Sex in the City, directed by Michael Patrick King, who did, as I understand, a lot of work on the TV show. Yes, he did. He also created another fabulous TV series um, that everyone should watch, which I actually think is a much better show than Sex and the City as a whole, which is The Comeback, starring Lisa Kudrow. Fun fact. Oh, yeah, I heard of that. Yeah, it just had its second season right now. Magnificent show. Um, anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about the fabulous, fabulous Sex and the City movie. So uh, what's the plot of this movie, Juan? What kind of shapeless mass... Did people cobble together and call this a plot? Oh my god, do I have to like give like can I give like a full No a like summary a full summary of like what's going on in all the girls' lives? No, it's a half <laughs> it's a half hour show, make it quick. Oh my god, you're killing me. Oh my god, okay. Even though the movie gives you a general like four minute montage of like bullshit that happened in the past with in- like Next eye- to no context whatsoever. <laughs> That's the thing. It's an eye-gougingly garish, really badly edited intro credit sequence it that is. doubles it is. I as a primer. Opinion. Although, like, Fergie's song in it is fabulous. Uh, labels it dove. No, fuck no, I you. Fuck I, you. I, I, don't you like, I don't like that song. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, um, there's a lot of sort of, you know, a lot of the romance and a lot of the materialism and a lot of just the, the, the philosophies in this film I find apparent. So you're going to hear me hear a lot of me going, oh, in this. I know. I know I am. Whatever. So basically what happens in before Sex and the City starts is that – um. Obviously, I mean, anyone who's listening, no, they might not know all the characters. Dear God, help me. See, this uh, is my problem. Fuck if you. Okay, not- hold on. Hold on. Let me, like, if, you have, if you've never seen the show before, they're, like, walking into this cold is not a great idea. Movies should be able to stand alone. That's my first strike against the film. Okay. Congratulations, Derek. I hate you. I'm going okay, to keep so a running there- tally. <laughs> I am going to keep a tally. One okay, so eye-gougingly this. bad opening credit sequence. Two, I agree. I agree no on the, the credit sequence. Two, no good for neophytes. 
Oh, my God. Okay, so there are four women, Carrie, Charlotte, Miranda, and Samantha. I'm sure, like, there's a billion jokes about them in pop culture. You probably heard at least one of those names. But basically, uh, to sum it up, Carrie is, like, dating Mr. Big, which, like, is... Fuck you. They keep calling him that. The dude has a name. I want to make a point that, like... He's always referred to as big throughout the series until... Which is really creepy. ...the very end of, like, the series. So, whatever. <laughs> it's really creepy, never man. End podcast. <laughs> Mr. Big. That's like a sex offender name. Oh, my God. I hate you so much. His name... It's not like he has some kind of weird Baroque first name. His name is John. It is John Prescott. His name is John James Prescott. So... The... <laughs> This is a fucking rich white person movie. It is, but like, fuck you. Rich white people movies can be interesting. Look at Nicole Hall of Center. You know what? I liked Enough Said, but that wasn't about rich people. That was just... Yeah, in fairness. But like, have you ever seen Friends with Money? No. That doesn't sound interesting. It's actually a very good movie. I, I stand by the fact that like, movies about privileged white people can be interesting. And their issues. Like, I don't... Whatever. Look at fucking Woody Allen's career. He's made a living out of it, and that's whatever. Anyway, I'm not going to compare these two things because they're entirely different. Let me finish explaining the fucking plot of the movie. Okay, Carrie's in a relationship with Big, a committed relationship, and they're planning on moving in together. Um, Charlotte is married with her husband, and they adopted a child. Miranda is basically married and settled down with her husband, Steve. And they're raising their kid together. And Samantha is with her, like, superstar boyfriend, Smith, even though she, like, misses having sex with fucking everybody because she's Samantha. So, so like, that's basically what's happening with all four of them. And then you have Carrie, who... Carrie and Big are about to get married, and Big ends up fucking turning his back on her. Pulling a Julia Roberts, man! Yeah, pulling a Julia Roberts. And by Julia Roberts, we mean Runaway Bride. Well, yeah, I figure people I would... feel like, no, we, we need to specify. Come on. Then again, if you're listening to a Sex in the City podcast, like I... Well, this no, isn't really a I... Sex in the City podcast. This is an it average is movie podcast. This is an average... That just happens to cover Sex, Sex in the, the City. city. <laughs> okay, anyway. um, So, yeah, after that, a lot of shit goes down. And this movie is... Devastated this and... movie is rich with incident. It's two and a half hours long. It doesn't need to be two and a half hours long, and I will agree with you on that. It's like five episodes of Sex and the City shoved together when it should be like three episodes and an HBO miniseries instead of a theatrical release. This movie is longer than Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. Oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna murder you if you keep on bringing up the fucking two and a half hours because you're no, so. It's yeah. very important because I, I imagine this movie to be a tr- like to be a trifle. To be just sort of a, a, a light, frothy thing. Nothing at two and a half hours can be considered light. This is biting off way more than the material can chew. I mean, it doesn't need to be as long as it is. And I, I like I wholeheartedly agree with that. This like it should have been cut down. One of the one of the scenes that I was just like, Are you like, why the fuck is this in here? Was um the the montage where Carrie is moving all of her shit out of her apartment and she like it's literally like of can I talk I about say, the like scene? a four to five minute montage of just her trying on different outfits? I really while... want to talk about this scene. Which scene? This one? This particular scene, yes. Okay, I'm glad. Go ahead. It's I've all got... it also has like Aerosmith and Run DMC's uh, right. Walk This Way, 
it's, playing it, over it, which is great because I love the soundtrack for this movie, but like it's so fucking unnecessary. First of all, it's entirely unnecessary, but I have a very, very real pro- – well, first of all, it's entirely gratuitous. Oh, totally. It kind of falls into this along with like the wedding dress photo shoot montage, the other fashion show montage. Those sections of the film are entirely gratuitous. I know exactly why they're there because that's that's the fan service. That's because Sex in the City, so far as I understand, is like this really weird – privilege bubble lifestyle porn it is to a certain extent it really is it's no, all about a, like you know fashion love blah 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 saying, like basically the fucking themes that it hits you over the head with throughout the movie and the series <laughs> so yeah this entire montage sequence this first montage sequence in it, which essentially happens in a closet uh yeah so uh, sarah jessica parker is trying on clothes set to uh run dmc's and aerosmith's walk this way which interesting choice of sound uh, soundtrack for for this particular montage but the thing that gets me is there's a sequence where there's a charlotte's adoptive child this three-year-old chinese kid right mm-hmm. who basically at the tail end of it she is like walking around in just like a diaper with what I'm assuming are designer handbags around her shoulder to the clapping bewilderment and amusement of four white ladies. And I'm like, ah, no. (laughs) This is terrible. Who okayed this scene? There's a literal child parading naked (laughs) with four handbags that probably together cost the same as about three months of my rent. Ah oh, man, there's just there's, there's too many layers to unpack. There's too much to unpack. I can't, I can't do this. There's too much to unpack in that sequence. <laughs> Not to mention their fucking trip to Mexico. Oh my god, their trip to Mexico. Oh, I want to hear you talk. About, just, just, just talk about this. This is. Oh, I, I can't mean, do this. It's absurd. Someone wrote that scene and was like, "Yes, let's have the small naked Chinese." <laughs> practically baby walk around with designer bags while four women white women rich white women in their 40s are clapping their hands and going yay i felt i'll tell you what i'll tell you what spoilers for snowpiercer coming up but i felt exactly the same way during the late portion of snowpiercer where chris evans removes the floorboard and sees a little black kid just moving the gunk out of the machinery because the cog broke <laughs> Oh my I God. felt the exact same way. This movie is horrible. It's not horrible, dude. Like, trust did me, you, horrible is did like. You not, did you not listen to what I just described? Part two. Part two, Derek. Part two. Okay, well, you know part, nothing yet. Okay, part two is explicitly ra- racist, while this one is just sort of implicitly racist. Yes. That, <laughs> uh, that was my big. That was my big centerpiece. That was my big speech for this. I'm glad. I like. I don't like. Oh my god! People like I this love movie. That this podcast is like me laughing. Like I just, I just, I want this to be the entire thing. Like it's a striking image, but for all the wrong reasons. It is. It and is. And just and and this hits a low point when when the four when the four ladies are in Mexico. Uh, the uh, so obviously the marriage doesn't happen, so the honeymoon doesn't happen, but the honeymoon has already been paid for. So they all go as a group to Mexico, and I already have a sort of a conceptual problem with five-star resorts of the sort to begin with but that kind of gets compounded when like i really like sad sarah jessica parker in this movie sad sarah jessica parker like okay i want to say something about this i think she is 
she could be such a great actress under the like not a great actress she could turn in such a great performance under the right filmmaker a solid performance i guess i think she could turn in a very very good dramatic performance under the right filmmaker i want to get to the to the the four leads as actors later but i'm going to finish with mexico for now go ahead there's a sequence where uh kristen davis uh showers and she's a sort of neurotic type who doesn't eat any food that's like made locally because as she says her friends it's mexico derek has a complaint about this but like the thing is this is the most appropriate depiction of like white women in a foreign country that i've ever seen and it's played for laughs yes but like to a certain extent maybe it's just because like i'm not white and like i think it's fucking hilarious to see white women reacting that way and just like she gets her just desserts, whatever. I, go it's, on. It's not Derek. that I found it distasteful. I just found it really lame. I just thought it was very hacky. A lot of the comedy in this film is very hacky. Like, I, I swear that if this came out of a different person's mouth, it would have fit perfectly on a stand-up stage circa 1992. And I'm okay with that. I am most definitely not. I know you're not. but um. And, okay, so Kristen Davis momentarily sort of lets her guard down and like sort of ingests shower water. Basically, at one point in the film, or maybe like five minutes, <laughs> at five minutes prior. Oh my god, Sarah Jessica Parker says that she's never going to laugh again exactly. or something. And then it'll only happen when something genuinely, genuinely hilarious happens. That genuinely hilarious thing is Kristen Davis shitting herself. And I'm like, which, like for fuck's sakes, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Honestly, I do not care. It is dumb as shit. Indeed. Literally. It's fun. I don't fucking like it's not it's 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 stupid. I'm you know, okay with how you know, stupid it is. It's because stupid. I'm, it's stupid, but it's taken to another level because Kristen Davis appears to be to have been cast in the role because she can bug her eyes and make a big mouth like she mugs a lot. That's exactly what her character and is. And that is not great. <laughs> oh, whatever. Um, I, I, I will take it just this second to talk about the four leads as actors. I'm going to rank them at the top is Cynthia Nixon. She, I think she has the best. She has the best arc in the film. I think she has the most to actually do in the she film, really as far yeah. as sort of you know an emotional arc and actual performance goes. And I'm thinking, I don't think I've seen her in anything else. But yeah, so Cynthia Nixon, okay. great job with the material that you were given. Mm-hmm. Uh, second is Sarah Jessica Parker. I don't think she's funny as she thinks her character thinks she is. But like I said, I like sad Carrie Brownstein. I like just the I don't give a damnsmanship of the second act. It's Brownstein. Longest. Brownstein is it Bradshaw? Yes, it's Bradshaw. Bradshaw. See, I'm going to leave that in because I don't give a shit about Sex in the City. <laughs> I know you don't. It's okay. Go on. Third is Kristen Davis. She can be funny, but I find the mugging kind of too much. And Kim Cattrall is last because she's got like half a gear, and it gets really irritating really fast. Oh my god, I hate you so much. I love Kim Cattrall. I don't. <laughs> I know you don't. In all fairness, like, like the Cynthia- most I've seen Kim Cattrall in is like. Sex in the City. Like, Cynthia Nixon deserves a better movie. Cynthia Kim Nixon Cattr- deserves Kim a C- lot better in general. Kim Cattrall but... is exactly in the movie she deserves to be in. Oh, whatever. I'm so <laughs> bitter about this. God. You have no idea. You should have been in the room while I was watching the movie. It took me three and a half hours to watch this two and a half hour long movie. Speaking of the actresses and the characters they play, I would actually like to point out it's a relatively big budget Hollywood movie. You don't see movies about like older women, like women above 40 on the big screen like this talking about like 
just their relationships and they're like yes some of it's stupid some of it's a lot whatever of it is but like yes it's mostly it's, stupid <laughs> whatever but a lot of it has like some very realistic situations that happen and realistic conversations and it's so very like this is something about the series more so than the movies but i do think the movie handled it very well with like certain situations especially miranda's arc as you mentioned before that you really liked but like they do they do a nice job at showing the very different portraits of like married life between these couples or these relationships you know the lack of sex the issues with having sex with someone else the overwhelming stress of marriage like trying to figure out how to forgive somebody i mean and miranda again miranda's miranda's arcs are always just so fucking good and i don't understand why people don't like miranda more as a character but whatever um like all of those little like uncomfortable discussions that people need to have and like just the way this this one simple little phrase can pile onto the mountain of stress and bring out like a terrible fucking situation, which the movie is not even remotely subtle about like planting the seeds of discord and doubt in Carrie and Big's relationship whatsoever. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these problems in this film could be essentially could be essentially solved with like a conversation. They could, but that's the thing. Nobody is- actually wants to have those conversations. But here's this. It kind of ties into one of the overarching problems I have with the film is that these relationships make a lot more sense given the five seasons or however many seasons of context that already happened. Yes, it's as a, true. As a standalone movie, this plays really fast and loose with characterization because it assumes as an audience that we already know what's up, and that's a bad assumption for a movie to make. It is a bad assumption for a movie to make. Also, it's six seasons. Um, okay, I didn't. Well, sorry, again. I need to be that person. Uh, <laughs> no, I would. Be, I would be totally pedantic with something I'm passionate about. You can be pedantic right back at me. Yeah, like I have a giant fucking pink book with all the seasons. Um, I remember selling that when I worked at a at a record store. Whatever. That's a, that's a luxury item. A char- only a character from Sex in the City would buy the Sex in the City box set. I bought it on sale. I am a character from Sex in the City. I'm fucking like I'm a mixture of Samantha and which, which one? We'll which talk one of, about that later. Which one of the gay stereotypes are you on? Which one of the gay stereotypes am I? I'm neither gay stereotype. Fuck you. I don't like their gay characters. Actually, I like I uh, whatever. I don't want to talk about them. They're like they're pointless to the movie. They are they're one pretty, of the many things that could have been cut. There's but. a lot of shit that's pointless to the movie. That and this this could have been 95 minutes. This could have been 100 minutes. Not two and a half hours long. I know. That, it's And I felt every fucking minute of it. They kind of bunch up the incident around the act breaks. Nothing happens in between. And then everything happens within the same ten minutes. Okay. So this movie has no sense of pacing. It, has it no doesn't. Sen- it has I'll no sense of that. time, really. Oh, I, I, you know, I'm not denying this. But anyway. Your love for this movie is both blind and robust. It is. But, like, okay, I'm not denying it's, like, I'm not giving it, like, a five-star rating. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think it's a very fucking flawed movie, I think but I don't think, I think it's a bad movie I think you're, I think your enthusiasm for it kind of, kind of makes you smooth over all the shitty things that you see in it. No, no. I fully agree. There is a lot of, like, there's, like, there's not good things in this movie, but I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a perfectly fine continuation of a television series. That maybe shouldn't have been two and a half hours long and definitely could have like excluded a lot of things that were very unnecessary. I guess ultimately I can't get behind a movie that basically assumes that you're deficient if you're not married, loaded, or fucking constantly. But it doesn't. It sort of does. No, it doesn't. It's because these women think that fact. And like I just really love and appreciate like how flawed every single one of these people are. Like, yes, they're privileged as hell. 
But like, yeah. that's the thing. I don't know. Like, I don't mind watching all of these people have these issues because like some of their issues transcend that privilege to being about these fucked up relationships. And that's something that I can really, I don't know, I can vibe with on a general level. Even though like Charlotte's narrative, her arc is just so fucking filler and it's so disappointing. I, then again, I've just never liked Charlotte that much as a character, and like except for when she's with Kyle MacLachlan in the television series. Fun fact, she's with Kyle MacLachlan in the television series. Then she ends up with uh, with the very genial-looking Evan Handler. Yeah, I know you liked Evan Handler's. I was also a fan of Jennifer Hudson. I thought she brought a lot of charisma to this. Jennifer sort of, Hudson brings charisma to everything. To this charisma. I'm not going to say charisma vacuum, but uh, let's say charisma slate. Oh, my God. It's it's like a very gorgeous countertop made out of like slate or granite. There's not a whole there's not a whole lot there. <laughs> I could I could feel the rage seething through the microphone. You know what there is a whole lot of though? What's that? Male ass. My favorite scenes in general are every time you see like you have Samantha staring at Dante, her beautiful beautiful neighbor who I oh god, so beautiful. Her eating the walk while like staring at his body. <laughs> He, he looks like such an asshole. <laughs> he looks like a piece of shit, but he's a piece of shit I'd fuck. I'm Samantha, I, I swear. <laughs> this this actually brings something interesting. I'm actually kind of surprised this movie played fast and loose with boobs, but it took a good two hours to get to the inevitable dick shot. You don't see dick that often in our movies, and you don't see it for longer than like a second. Like Everyone was complaining about Gone Girl um because like oh his dick was on screen but like it was there for like literally half a second which is true it was there for like half a fucking second dante's dick was on longer than ben affleck's was i'm not surprised that it took them two hours to put in dick because you have to use dick sparsely (laughs) (laughs) um which is a shame i've been shitting on this movie since we started so i'm gonna say some good things about it okay awesome one I like Jennifer Hudson in this film. She's very charismatic and she brought life to this fucking movie. She really does though. But Jen, like again, as I said, like Jennifer Hudson brings life to like every single project she's in. I think she's such a fantastic actress. I like I think she's an underrated actress frankly even though she's won her Oscar and everything. Uh two. Uh I liked uh Evan Handler's Fester Adams costume. <laughs> oh my god, yes. That was really cool. It's a nice little it's a nice little bit. Three. The New Year's Eve montage? Yes, to Old that Lang was, Sign. Yeah, that was, I think, the best part of the film. Although I do have a problem with that whole sequence equating being at home with Chinese food on New Year's Eve as being something that losers do. That's the thing. I don't think it's something that losers do. I just think it's something that like these two women needed to do to feel like they were at a better place in their life than they were. Uh, this movie's one big fucking value judgment. <laughs> Whatever. I think it it had the best filmmaking in the movie, which by and large was pretty staid and kind of bland. But this is not a thing, not a thing specific to this film. It's a thing specific to, I guess, big budget comedies. Not just big budget comedies, but also, I mean, it also suffers from the fact that like Michael Michael Patrick King is first and foremost like a showrunner rather it's, than a filmmaker. It suffers from the dreaded TV itis. It does, but like, and again, also as someone who primarily watch the series i don't think it's particularly like it doesn't particularly need a cinematic touch it could it helps i mean they they try sometimes the intro credit sequence uh god and, that intro critic sequence. Oh, what a terrible intro 
It's you know, awful. I know a lot of people have their problems with the movie Watchmen. I, I, I like Watchmen so I, much. I like Watchmen too. But one, th- <laughs> one thing about that movie is that it does a pretty good job of setting up a whole lot of backstory in a very small amount of time during the intro credits. Does. A lot of Watchmen is like skull-thuddingly unsubtle. Just a sort of amount of information in the opening credits, if you're willing to read it, it's it's really good. It's really well done. And that's something that this, with the added bonus of narration, which could have been excised. I know it's a matter of keeping in tone with the show. But they should I have know, just but cut no, the they could have done so much better. With the addition of narration and like 17 different things, different pieces of video in the frame could not do what Watchmen did. It's true. A lot of B-movies, a lot of sort of lower budget films had this really interesting way or this knack of cramming a lot of expository backstory and information that you need as an audience member to get engaged in the story in very sort of effective ways. This did not have that at all. (laughs) Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz does the same thing. It sets us up. And here's another thing. Edgar Wright spoiled big budget comedies for me because that dude makes it mega cinematic. Yeah, he really does. And now everything else just looks really, really plain. I know, but we can't like. I know we can't, we can't hold, hold up this. every single comedy to Edgar Wright's standard. Can't we? I mean, we can't. We, we really can't. He's too good for us. He's too good. <laughs> no, this movie's sense of time and sense of pace and sense of places. Like I couldn't tell. I could barely tell when they changed from New York to Los Angeles. It actually dawned on me about two thirds of the way to the film is that wait, Carrie is a writer. <laughs> She's employed. She, oh works for a li- she works for a living. She doesn't do I, anything. I can't fucking believe you. <laughs> Everyone talks in this movie and they don't say anything and no one ever does anything and it's bullshit. Oh my god, you're such an asshole. I'm an asshole because you know I'm right. No, you're not. I hate you so much. This movie is about relationships and about the breakdowns of relationships and about how hard relationships are on people. You know what? I... And about how the mo- what the most important relationships in your life are, like which, which which relationships in your life you should work on. One of my favorite lines in the fucking movie, my absolute favorite lines is from Samantha. I love you, but I love me I more. I love me more, yeah. And I've been working – no, and I've been in a relationship with myself for 49 years and that's the one I need to work on. And I feel like you don't ever actually see characters in movies like saying, yes, I need to be out of this relationship because it is not positive for me as a person. And like, yes, the reason seems self-centered, like, oh, I want to have sex with this other person. But like, I don't like I get so much more from Samantha's character, I guess, like in part because like I've seen these six seasons of episodes, like God knows how many times. And I think I don't know. I think she's such a fascinating character. That's so much more than what a lot of people take away from her. Whatever. She's a 50 year old woman who just like decided, hey, I need to care about myself more than I care about anyone else. I, th- I just think it's like a bit of fortune cookie moralizing tossed off in the third act of a movie. Whatever. <laughs> I hate you so much. I really liked the score for this I, movie, surprisingly I, enough. I didn't notice this movie even had a fucking score. Really? Oh my god, I hate you so much. And the soundtrack I'm not super fond of either. I know. But, cause, but that's, oh. that's just a matter of, you know, taste. That's just a matter of whatever. The Bird and the Bees, uh, How Deep Is Your Love cover is like one of my favorite fucking covers. Then again, like The Bird and the Bee doing covers in general, their album, um, they have a Hall & Oates cover album. It's magnificent. That's a very specific covers album to have. I know, right? But it's so good. Their renditions of like every single, so whatever. I'm not going to talk about like a Bird and the Bee cover album right now, even though it's stellar. You know what? I think I would have liked this movie better if the whole soundtrack was just Hall & Oates. <laughs> 
Oh my god. I wish every single movie had Hall and Oates as just the whole soundtrack. Like, hey, Man Eater, fucking. You're a rich girl, and you're gone too far, cause you know it don't matter anyway. Uh, what's that other song? Uh, is it called Your Kisses on My List? Uh, Kisses on My List, yeah. That's right. She's uh, Gone. Yeah. Dual Affair Scene set to She's Gone by Hall and Oates. It's magnificent. So yeah, I think we discuss, we think we stumbled upon a way to make this movie better and just replace all the incidental music by Hall and Oates songs. <laughs> I wish. I, that's a, again, like I wish that was every single movie. Uh, going through my notes, I'm trying to remember the last time I saw a boner in the foreground of a shot. I couldn't, couldn't <laughs> Although remember. it technically wasn't a boner. It technically wasn't a boner, but you know, it it looked like a boner to me. It was a boner joke and it, it was worked. a boner joke. Yeah, I was here for it. I would have sucked it. Um <laughs> anyway, Carrie when when Carrie goes to her new apartment with Big, there's like the most magnificent walk-in closet that he made for her and I want it more than anything I've ever wanted in my life. See if that, that is... comment doesn't just prove that this is weird fucking lifestyle porn. I know it is. I don't know what it's will. To a certain extent. It's just that. It's, it's not just that. It's more than that, Derek. I don't know. This this fucking marriage culture, rich people drama bullshit, I can definitely do without. Okay, and that's fine. Which leads us to everyone's favorite part where we say whether we think it's fresh or rotten. Oh, I think I know what it's going to be. Oh, my God. What could it be? I stand by fresh. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think it's a fine movie that I enjoy more than enough there is so much to unpack this film from just a political point of view that i almost want to rewatch it just to hate it again my god but i mean i already know that this is a rotten for me this movie sucks <laughs> in all fairness i really want you to wa- like i'm not gonna watch sex in like, the city too man please watch sex in the city too do it for me do Dude, it for like a, like a like a just to hate yourself in the spirit of this movie i love myself too much to watch sex in the city too are you all dressed up in love i don't know what that is oh my god it's the fucking song that jennifer hudson sings at the end of the movie i swear See, to god most and of the like mo- most of the movie's soundtrack and score went whoop, right over my head i noticed so yeah juan gives it a fresh i give it a rotten we disagree I know, it's about damn time. Four episodes in. Good for us. Yeah, the streak is dead. Hopefully it will start again next time. We'll see. Um, but we should talk about both of our recommendations. That's right. Uh, you can feel free to go first. I'm going to... I'm going to yell at you about it a little bit. I'm going to take another movie in which Kim Cattrall is the most useless part of it. And that movie is John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. It's a great movie starring Kurt Russell and uh, Variable Murderer's Row of Chinese-American character actors. It is a great action-comedy uh, sci-fi martial arts film, and it's a it's a Carpenter-Russell jam. It's going to be good. Yeah, in all fairness, I've actually never seen that movie yet. I've like I've had a copy of it forever, and I still have it. You should watch it. It is most definitely good. Kurt Russell, I know. I'm going to have Kurt, a delightful time. Kurt Russell basically plays a dim-witted John Wayne who thinks he's the hero of the film where he's actually kind of a dim-witted sidebar character. It's pretty interesting, but it's also really fun. It's a really fun movie. And the tangible connection between this and Sex and the City is Kim Cattrall's in it. Kim Cattrall, she's not a good actress. <laughs> I know, everybody I, I, talks shit about her in the movie. I, re- I really I really hate harping on Kim Cattrall like this, but I, I mean, I know that some actors have like like one move, two moves, they kind of get recast in those same parts. Kim Cattrall is like half a move. Whatever. You're so mean. I, I think Kim Cattrall will be able to live with the fact that I don't think her acting is great. 
somehow I'm I think sure. she'll be able to live. I'm sure she will. But I will say this. Casting directors, get Cynthia Nixon in your fucking movies. Um, okay, so my, my recommendation is uh, connected through Jennifer Hudson. It was a film she did two years before, which she won her Oscar for, which is Dreamgirls. Bill Condon's Dreamgirls. I think it's... Uh, I think it's such a great, great musical film, and nobody I ever gives this it one. as much. Yeah, you did. Most people did. I think a lot of people don't give it as much credit as it deserves. I think it's great. All right, so that's Sex in the City. We've got uh, we've cleared that hurdle. So now it's my turn to pick. Uh, we have a couple of titles, like between the two of us, we have a couple of titles that we have in our back pocket. Like we want to keep for later episodes because they're titles we're really interested in seeing. Yes, we do. Whose names we will sort of keep on the down low. You can probably figure it out. Figure out which ones they are if you take a look at the list of movies with fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I anyway, decided, Derek to hasn't told me his his pick for next week yet, so this is my first time hearing it too. After I made him watch Sex in the City, like I feel like I'm going to get subjected to like a huge piece of fucking shit. Here's the thing: I wanted to find something that would be a huge fucking piece of shit, but I don't think I have that on you, other than make you watch one of the sort of bad-looking gay comedies that are on that list. God help me. But I'm not going to do that because <laughs> because I'm your friend. Uh-huh. But yeah, I went through the list and said, what's something that I would have never seen if it weren't for this project? Like all the movies we have in our back pocket I either have already seen or probably was going to see eventually anyway. I wanted to take something that I didn't even know existed, something that is just – I would have never even given this movie a second thought had I not started this project with you. But it's kind of a coincidence that my recommendation was Big Trouble in Little China. Who is the star of Big Trouble in Little China? I don't know. Who is it, Derek? You know. Answer the question. Oh, my God. It's Ken Russell. It's Kurt Russell. Kurt, 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 Kurt Russell. Kurt, I did not just say Ken Russell. Ken Russell Instead, is a, I'm Ken sorry. Russell is Ken Russell is the director of many beautiful, fantastic movies like Tommy and Altered States. And including three movies that have 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, which we may cover in the future. Yes, we will. But um, I'm sorry, Kurt Russell is right. the star. Go he is, on. And he is also the star of the movie we're going to be doing in two weeks. <gasps> oh my, what movie could it be? The movie in question stars an 18-year-old Kurt Russell. Jesus Christ. In one of his first starring roles. The movie in question is 1969's The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes? I can't believe you. (laughs) Oh my god, I cannot believe... I cannot. I can't. Holy shit! It's a Disney movie. It's a Disney correct. film. Classics. Oh my it's, god. Yes, it's a live action Disney film from the 1960s, directed by one Robert Butler, who uh, didn't make didn't make a lot of movies. He's probably best known for this movie and a 1980 crime drama called Night of the Juggler. Uh, but he mostly did TV. Uh, he did, among other things, episodes of the original Batman TV series, which is weird because this movie also stars the Joker himself, Cesar Romero. Oh, my God. So, yeah, next time we're going to be covering The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. It's going to be – I don't like know. I don't know what to expect. I expect <laughs> I'm kind of really excited for this. I don't know what to expect. I didn't know this movie existed before today. I just thought it was I. really cool that we had this movie with a fresh-faced, very young Kurt Russell in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, next time that's what we're doing. I'm excited. It's going to be cool. Juan and I, we both run a website – a uh, film criticism website called dimthehouselights.com. That's where most of our film criticism goes. 
that's our that's our pride and joy. That's our little baby who is going to be turning one very very soon. Yeah, like right as soon as this podcast comes out is more or less the time when our website will be turning one year old. And we're both very proud parents. We really are. Um, but you can also find us on Sound on Site for Derek and Miami right. New Times and Yan Magazine for myself. You can also find us on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can find me at both places at Derek underscore G. And me for Woa20 to W-O-A-H. Yeah. Obviously, you can go to our podcast's website. I fucked this up last time. It's actually S-I-T-M-W-Y podcast altogether dot tumblr dot com. There you can find links to our letterboxes, our Twitters, our film criticism website, and most importantly, a link so you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Which you totally should do if you want more outlandish podcasts such as this one. And also, I'm going to ask specifically this time around, we are a small podcast. So if you could just rate us and leave us a a review, it would mean the world to us because that way we get more exposure, more people listen to the podcast, and we get more motivation to talk nonsense about movies. Yeah, because that's what we like doing, talking nonsense about movies. That's right. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and see you in two weeks. See you.